0: What's up, everybody? This is Nathan from Millennial Politics. We've got a great podcast for you today, but before we begin, we wanted to give you a really exciting update on our end. At its most basic, we're tired of cable news talking heads, constantly talking over each other, and we're tired of corporate-owned media dictating the stories that work their way through the body politic. We're not corporate-owned at Millennial Politics, and we never want to be. And this means that we can say what we want to say when we want to say it. And by using some pretty basic technology, we can bring our news directly to you, wherever you are in the world. And that's why we wanted to put on our own version of a live news program while we still can mptv is going to be launching monday night april 16th at 8:30 p.m eastern live on twitter and periscope and we want you to participate we want you to turn in live and we want you to interact with us every live show that you watch at mptv you'll have the opportunity to win some real money we're going to ask some trivia questions throughout the show and you're going to answer them in a single email if you get them right and you're fast enough you're going to win some cash. We'll PayPal you or Venmo you the money, and you can brag about it on Twitter afterwards. Remember, Monday night, April 16th, 8.30 p.m. Eastern, MPTV, real news, real money, no gimmicks. All right, let's get to the podcast.
1: Welcome to the Millennial Politics Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Valerie. my pronouns are she, her, hers, and today I'm joined by Nathan Rubin, founder of Millennial Politics, and Carrie Evelyn Harris, civil rights activist and Democratic candidate for the United States Senate in Delaware. Thank you both for coming on.
0: Thank you so much for having me. So Carrie, let's go ahead and, and dive right in. I was hoping you could tell us and tell our listeners a little bit about your background and how you found yourself running in this race. I grew up, my parents were teachers, and I was always taught that we
2: had to give more to society than we took. Just after high school, I ran a program for the youth in Anaheim, California, at a boys and girls club dealing with the gang population, Uh, and that was eye-opening because Anaheim, as you guys probably know, is known for Disneyland and being the happiest place on earth. However, there is a large gang population we were able to facilitate a program that showed these amazing people that there was more to their lives than what they had been told would be. They weren't going to end up teen parents. They weren't going to end up in jail. They weren't going to end up uh, dead. They saw that there were other options, and they thrived. All of them that made it changed the cycle for their family. It it was a hardship, and I had to finish college, and uh, I didn't have— a ton of money, so I joined the military and I could say I did it just because I was being a patriot, but the truth was um, it was a way for me to earn my education. I did something called delayed enlistment in May, in September of the year that I did my enlistment, 9-11 happened. I had the choice at that point to pull out, but at that moment we didn't know what had happened, we just knew we were attacked and we didn't know the details. And I chose instead to continue on and um, do what I thought was defending my country. Later on, we found out the truth of why we had entered that war. And that's a whole different story. However, my what I don't regret is joining the military. There is a bond that comes with your service to your country and the people that you serve with that is indescribable. Because I was air crew, I got to travel to different parts of the world and I got to see what was beautiful and the the things we can learn from. And I got to see the anguish and destruction and what is ugly, not just about war, but about humanity when we don't actually act for the benefit of others. It strengthened my pride in America and not in this weird like, oh, we're, we're America, but just knowing that people still look to us as the example of what could be, despite all our shortcomings. And it made me realize that I had to make sure I always showed the best of what America could be. Unfortunately, I was medically retired. I got sick from the anthrax vaccine. As my body repaired itself, I um, struggled to make ends meet. I would ask neighbors, can I cut your lawn to make extra money, clean the basement, anything just to survive. And finally, I landed a regular full-time job. It was blue-collar work. It was a white male-dominated world. Being in the military is a male-dominated world in general, but this was just a different experience. I was working so many hours myself that my daughter once said, she thought the shop was my home. She said, well, I'm going to visit you at your house because I was usually gone when she woke up and didn't return until she was already asleep. I learned not just on the outside, but on a personal note, that this was the way America was going. This was the hardship that it was faced, that we were facing during all of this time. I was still doing community organizing where I felt there was a need. I was there at a point. I realized I had to, I had to do this full time. People were hurting. And then I realized I had a lot of words, but not enough action. And I didn't have a candidate that was willing to step forward. And so I said, it was my, I had to do it taking on the establishment in Delaware and nationally is a big deal.
1: Something I'm sure everyone is asking you is why challenge Tom Carper in the first place? He's a Democrat who votes against Donald Trump 65% of the time. He has a 58% approval rating. Why shouldn't Democratic voters just stick with him in the primary? What makes you different?
2: That is, You're right. That is a big question. And um, so it's a, it's a few layers to that. We need change in how things are being done in Congress and in our state of Delaware. There is a disconnect with people who have served served long-term in our Congress. They haven't been in it for such a long period of time, if at all. And when I say in it, I mean the struggle. If the people who are writing our policies can't understand the struggle, it'll be hard for them to properly legislate to assist in that struggle. The concern is There are areas where when push comes to shove, I feel he needs to stand a little bit stronger and harder on moral grounds. Again, when it comes to health care, the Keystone Pipeline discussion came up. Uh, He voted for it. And his counter was that, well, it allowed for a thousand clean air bills to come through, but it actually repealed a lot of clean air bills. Most recently, there is this bank bill, Senate Bill 2155, and it is if regulations are dropped, We will find out too late that we should have paid attention. And this bill drops regulations that were set in place because of Dodd-Frank. Why soften regulations for the larger banks? Why allow them to, again, gamble with what for many is just that little bit of money that they can put into their 401ks? But they weaken areas such as requiring banks to report their their lending practices, and this particular bill would allow 85% of the banks to avoid disclosing disclosing mortgage data. That is a problem with minority communities, especially, and that lends to redlining.
0: So on your website, you state that we cannot incarcerate our way out of crime. Could you explain to our listeners what you mean by this and how it would manifest itself in your policy?
2: Privatization of prisons has proven itself to have increased the number of prosecutions. The fact is, it's really disproportionately affecting minority communities and poor white communities. And many people are in prison for issues that are first-time offenses that aren't related to violence. Many are low-level drug charges, that people are going to prison for long periods of time. It affects them personally, and it affects their families. When they go to get out, the prospects of a job are few and far between. We are not seeing that this is helping our society in any way, shape, or form. Families are falling apart. Our recidivism rates are rising. And when you have the workers, the minorities, and the poor working class, the people that drive this economy, not able to move forward because many of their people have prison records, there is no excuse for it. So I propose that, especially for first-time offenses that are not associated with violence, that we work towards reform. And people don't like to hear that because they'll say, well, my child... Didn't get help and they didn't get uh, in trouble with the police. That your child probably just didn't get caught. And I'm not saying every kid is out here selling drugs, but kids make mistakes that oftentimes are just because they're kids that aren't thinking. Their whole life shouldn't change because of that. I spoke to a woman on Saturday. She was explaining that her son was a scout and he got a little coin that said that he was now proficient in using a, um, a small knife. And so he thought that that meant anywhere in society. So he brought his knife to school. And because of the zero tolerance program, it threatened to ruin his entire student career and possibly his future because he brought a weapon to school. Sometimes people just make mistakes. And if we're quick to throw the book at them, we ruin our society because we're not thinking of the whole picture. Criminals, true hardcore criminals, need to be dealt with. However, if it's somebody who our, our society can benefit from actually rehabilitating them, we need to. If we can send them to trade schools. If we can put them into programs to teach them coping mechanisms. If we can show them a way to make money outside of having to deal drugs because that's their way of supporting their family, we need to do so. There's an area in Wilmington called Southbridge where there's nearly a 99%, almost 100% dropout rate because there's hopelessness. Many of those, those students are ending up in prison. We need to stop things before they get to that point. People aren't criminals generally because they're bad people. They're criminals because they are lacking opportunity. There's criminals because they are in the wrong place at the wrong time. We need to change the definition. We need to fix how we deal with people at the ground levels before they have to make a career beca- out of criminal activity because they have no other options in society. Instead of constantly sending people to prison, creating fortunes for private prison owners and creating a system of modern day slavery for poor white people and communities of color We need to instead empower those communities, give them trades, give them an understanding of, and instill them with hope and opportunity. You can't ask people to make something out of nothing. If you have no industry and there are no jobs, but you still not need to feed your family, how, how can you tell somebody to do that and there's no way? So we, as a, as a government, as a society, need to create that way. And that's how we get out of imprisoning people.
1: As a queer woman of color, you have a really powerful platform to inspire members of your community. What message do you want to share with queer youth of color hoping to get involved in politics or even run for office themselves? It's a
2: strange dynamic sometimes, right? I I remember being younger and a family member trying to be supportive and asking uh, if I was gay. And I remember as a youth thinking, and I was a little bothered by the question. And I even asked, well, did you ask my sister this? Um, Because I knew she was straight. And it was funny, that dynamic, because so many people from the LGBTQ community have the the opposite experience, right? They don't have family that are asking and open. But I guess what stood out to me was there shouldn't be a difference. And I feel that way now still, that there shouldn't be a difference. And I think that what I can say to other members of my community is to live your life knowing that you have so much to contribute and know in yourself that there is no difference And when people point it out, as long as you have these amazing things to point to as your successes, it doesn't matter. People will open up and see you as you outside of what your sexuality is. There are some things that because of many of the, much of the discrimination we go to through as a community that makes us stronger and able to take on things that other people can't, simple things. So take for granted the looks that you might get when you go into a bathroom. And people wonder, uh, is that person supposed to be in this restroom? Perhaps our voices don't match our look and people are taken aback because we have very rigid ideas of what a person should be in our society. and We break that mold. And so being a person from the LGBTQ community we are examples to far more people than just those in our community. We allow people who others look at and say, they're a little different, to realize it's okay to be different. I'm a rock star too. And if that person can do it and it not make a difference, so can I. We've seen it throughout the country in Virginia. Sometimes I am, I've made it a practice to just own who I am, that sometimes Even the question throws me off because none of us should have to explain or make excuses for being just who we are.
0: Carrie, I think that's a really inspiring place to leave it. If folks are interested in getting involved with your campaign or learning more about you, how can our listeners find you and and potentially get involved?
2: My website is the best way. It's CarrieEvelynHarris.com. Also, you can find me on Facebook. Carrie Evelyn Harris for Delaware. And then Twitter is Carrie Harris DE.
1: Okay, great. Well, thank you so much for coming on today. I really enjoyed our discussion. Again, I'm Jordan Valerie, politics editor at Millennial Politics. You can find me on Twitter at Jordan Val Allen. Make sure to follow Millennial Politics on social media. Subscribe to our newsletter and check out our merch at millennialpolitics.co and stay tuned for the next episode of our podcast. Thanks for listening.